I cannot tell you how hard it was to sit there and not be standing and singing that song. What a wonderful song. Thank you. I want to begin by uh, just saying a word of thank you to the overwhelming amount of love and support and prayer that you have uh, poured upon me and my family over this past year. I can never repay it, but thank you. I want to begin by asking just two questions, because this year I have is not an unusual year. All of us have difficulties that come into our lives. And I just want, as a, just as a visual sign, everyone in this room who's gone through a moment in life where it was painful and it was difficult and it was unexpected, if you'll just raise your hand all around the room. Okay. Let's just take it one step forward. During that moment of your life, I would like for you now, just to, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand as a testimony, as a visual testimony. If the Lord God, during that time of your life, during that moment, came to you to heal you, to restore you, to strengthen you, or to comfort you, if that is true, if you would testify to that, if you'll stand right now in testimony. Let's pray. How great are you, God? How great are you? We stand in testimony of your greatness, God. We do not go through this life, through the horribleness of this life alone, God, because you are there. You are so there. I pray, Holy Spirit, comforted that you would come and comfort us with the words of God, the words that you inspired. May, us not, may, may we not miss one bit of it, God, that you would have for us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the severe bend in my life, Roby, was on May the 7th. A year ago, I was seeing patients on that Monday morning, and a phone call came from an ENT surgeon, Dr. Alan Brill, who had done a biopsy on what I thought was going to be a benign nasal polyp three days earlier. I came to the phone, and he said, Rick, um, I need you to come by and let me speak to you this morning. I've got the results of your pathology report back, and it's not good news. And I, I said, okay, I'll be over. And I hung the phone up, and I sat down. I don't know if you've ever received that kind of phone call, but I'll tell you, my heart rate went up. I think my face became flush. And I just took a deep breath because my life had changed. And I said, Lord God, I want you to know, Lord God, though this, whatever this is, may slay me, I want you to know I'm going to trust you. That was a prayer that Job had prayed thousands of years ago, but boy, it became real to me at that moment. So what do we do when we go to a place that's painful? What, what, where do we go? Well, fortunately, the Bible is, is real, and the writers of the Bible live real lives. The Apostle Paul experienced a great deal of pain, shipwrecks, scourgings, imprisonments. And he's writing the book, of, he's writing the book um, to the Ephesians from a prison in Rome, and he's chained between guards. So he's not in a good place. He's in a, he's in a painful, hard place. And he tells us, he tells us that God doesn't leave us there, but God gives us great strength, and great strength available to us. And he uses a word picture. And I want us to read this, and then I want to show the truth of this passage. From the NIV, Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Paul begins by stating a really vital biblical truth. He says there's a whole lot more going on than our three-dimensional senses can pick up. He declares there's a fourth dimension, there's a spiritual dimension to everything that's happening around us. There's eternal things going on with all that happens in and around our lives. And if this is not true, then we're, very, we're in a very uh, pitiful state, Paul says. If the things of Christ are not true, then how sad are we? But they are true. There are many things going on. Paul says that all of us are going to have evil days. We're going to have hard days. But he says God doesn't leave us alone like that. But God's mighty power is available to each and every one of us in those days. He calls it God's armor. And God's armor is amazing. But you know what? We have to put it on for it to be useful to us. We have to intentionally put on each piece of the garment. He tells us to start, on by, to start off by putting on the belt of truth. Now this is an interesting article of clothing that the Roman soldier wore. The singulum was a Roman soldier's badge of office. And this is an interesting fact about it. It was worn by the Roman soldier at all times in public. Only two pieces of his armor were the belt of truth and his cloak. Now, why would that be so? Because, you know what? The Roman soldier wanted everyone to know, everywhere he went, that he was a soldier of the Empire of Rome. And it was a reminder to him and to everyone else that he was the conqueror. He was part of the conquering kingdom. And that's a vital piece of truth for us to have. When life throws us hard things. And that is that we, uh, we are part of, of a conquering kingdom. In, in Romans 8.37, we're told that we, are, we have become more than conquerors, no matter what life throws us. And then verse 38 tells all kind of things that life would throw at us. But we are more than conquerors. We're fighting not for victory, people. We're fighting from victory. What a great place to live. And I'll tell you this. No matter what life throws to you. God, if you allow him, will turn that thing into your benefit, not into your defeat, because you are more than a conqueror. Belt of truth. Over the past year, I've come to experience firsthand how very different, how much broader God's concepts of victory are, of being victorious are than mine. You see, God is much more, much more interested in my holiness than my happiness. He's much more interested in my character than my comfort. And so God will take you places where your holiness and your character cannot get to, except sometimes it's a hard place. Here's a verse that uh, we Christians love to share with each other. It's a very powerful verse when we, when we are in a difficult place. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right? That's just a very powerful, useful verse. But we leave out the next verse. We leave out the definition of what the good is that God causes in our life. Because verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That is the good that God does in our lives. 
At all times, that's the good he's trying to bring to bear upon our lives. As we become conformed more and more into the mindset, to the heartbeat, and to the actions of the living Christ. And I'll tell you, I, don't think, I think most of us get this wrong in America. I don't think most of us even understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. To really desire to have his mindset, his heartbeat. In fact, I believe most of us, if we were to take the analogy of Christianity being like a jet skier, I think most of us would visualize being a jet skier like this picture. We want our Christian experience to be comfortable, full of good times, good friends, very safe, very predictable. Disciple of Christ, this is not what God has in mind for you. His concept of a jet skier is much more like this. Okay? May you never forget that picture. This is a jet skier who's totally, connect, totally committed. And he is connected to an amazing power. And he is having a passionate moment of life. And his life is anything but on a safe track. But it is an amazing life this person's living to all who observe it. And that's what God would have for us. To grow and have more and more of the heart and mind of this revolutionary Jesus Christ. And he'll take you into hard times to grow you spiritually with roots that you would never get any other way. The belt of truth. You are more than a conqueror. And God would like you to live as a conqueror. Next, next piece is our breastplate of righteousness. To have that in place. And it's a vital piece of armor because it protects your vital organs, your heart. And I'll tell you something, when I found out I had cancer, one of the immediate prayers, I said, Lord God, please show me, please show me, is there any hurtful way in me, any sinful way in me? Because, Lord God, as I go through this fight with this cancer, I do not want there to be any distance between you and me at all. And you know what? That's the way we all should live, with or without cancer, as Christ followers. We should long for there to be no distance between us and the living God. But, you know, I think in America, we just sin very nonchalantly. We don't realize how it distanced us from God. Not that he moves, but that we move. Be ruthless with your sin. Admit it. And repent of it and turn to God and stay close with him. Breastplate of righteousness. Paul rightly describes in verse 12 of our passage, he describes this world as being this dark world. Our world is a dark world. We think we live in the land of living or going to the land of dying. No, we live in the land of dying and we're going to the land of living if we're Christians. We're in a dark world. Well, the piece of armor, the breastplate, was made of metal. And when it was shined, it would reflect sunlight amazingly. How brightly, how brightly can our lives shine for Christ, especially in hard times, to a dark world where other people are hurting. And you know what? I've seen so many of you live this truth as I've grown up in this church. I've seen you go through hard moments, and you've refused to let those moments make you bitter, but instead you've become better. And you shine brightly. I'll tell you what, almost everyone in the room raised their hand that they've had a tough, painful moment in life, a big why. Almost every person in this room. And I'll tell you, we'd be astounded if we could actually hear the testimonies of each and every person. Because some of y'all have been to some very, very tough places. But when we see you, we see a joy, not a fake happiness, but a deep-seated joy. Because you know what, joy doesn't mean the absence of pain, but it is a reflection of a heaven-captured heart and attitude 
that comes from living through pain with God. So the breastplate of righteousness is so important. Paul goes on to say to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman shield was a pig shield. It was like a door. And it not only protected the person holding it, but also the guys beside him. And you can hold up a shield of faith so strong that it not just protects you from the flaming arrows of the enemy that would want to turn your heart from God, but would protect others around you. When I first was told with cancer that, that night, I had dinner with my family. And I said, well, we have cancer, you know, I have cancer. And I know enough about cancer that life with cancer is like a roller coaster. Good days, bad news. Good news, bad news. I said, here's how to approach it. On the good days, we're going to enjoy them and rejoice in them and not waste them. On the tough days and hard days, man, we're going to plow through them. Because here's the deal. On the hard days, you only have three places to turn. Denial or fear or faith. That's it. And denial can't hang around too long because reality of life just shows up too, too, too fully. So then you only have fear or faith. Well, fear is a very lonely place to go. And the people, the beings who hate your souls that Paul describes this, they hate your souls. They wait for you there. They dwell there waiting for you to show up. Fear. But instead of living in fear, I would exhort you and exhort me to live in faith. In faith in a God who says, come to me all who are weary laden and I will give you rest. Cast all your cares on me because I do care for you. A God who wants us to call him loving father, the good shepherd. And I'll tell you, that's the place where I have decided I want to dwell as I go through whatever this cancer may mean to me as I go through life. The Bible gives us a very challenging, very challenging description of how deep this faith must be in these hard moments. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always with cancer. Rick, rejoice with the, with the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We're commanded to have such a faith that we rejoice no matter what evil is thrown our way. That's a big shield of faith. Well, how do you get there? Warren Wiersbe was sharing about his, he and his wife's path with her cancer. And he gave some great insight into this. He said, you know, life is, any day of life is really like the rails of a, of a railroad track. There's one rail where you may have hard moments, challenging moments, and God will use those to grow your character. But at the same time, if you just look, you will see God's rail of tender mercies and comfort that he continuously pours across us, even as we go through hard times. And I believe that is true. I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 1.3 where Paul once again writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Two words really jumped out at me in this verse. The God of all comfort. The word all, if you look in the Greek, it means all manner, all means of comfort. And the word comfort is the word paraclete. It means he comes beside us. He comes beside us in every way possible to strengthen us and encourage us. Now you might say, um, you mean when someone says a kind word to me or a comforting word to me, that's God? If it's a word of true comfort, it is God. You see that person to speak to you. And I have this with authority. The scripture says this in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Paul once again says, but God who comforts the, dep- the depressed, which means Paul had to be in a point of depression in his life as he writes 2 Corinthians. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
Now, you may say, well, that was just Titus coming to come. No, Paul saw beyond that to the spiritual. God was using Titus to comfort them. God continually showers us with tender mercies. I love the song, just the song we sing, For Thou, O Lord. I cannot tell you how God uses that to minister to my soul. It says, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. And I love that, the lifter of my head. Because how many times has God done just that? I mean, how ironic for an eye doctor to have cancer between his two eyes, trying to weigh down my head. But I'll tell you what, every time the reality of that that I had that cancer begin to weigh down on my soul, God in so many ways lifted my head. I'll give you an example. The very first morning back, after I was told I had cancer, I was back seeing patients. The very first person I saw was a gentleman who had come for the first time to see me. And he was a gentleman who had had a severe amputation of his left leg and hip. I thought it was a war injury. I said, I'm Rick Milne. It's really nice to meet you. And can you tell me the story about what happened to your leg? He said, Dr. Milne, I'm so glad you asked that. Because I was told that you found out yesterday you had cancer. He said, 28 years ago, I had cancer in my left leg that was very severe and very aggressive. And I was given six months to a year to live. And I could find no one who, could, who would do something for this. He said, finally, I found one doctor who was willing to do this very radical amputation. He said, here I am, Dr. Milley, almost 29 years later, still alive. There's hope, Dr. Milley. I cannot tell you what that did for me. And by God's grace, every third patient I saw that day said, you know, Dr. Milley, I'm a cancer survivor. My husband's a cancer survivor. God's tender mercies are there so often. We just need to look for them. Paul goes on to say, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love football, but there's a scary thing that happens in football sometimes. A player gets his helmet knocked off and the play's not over yet. I, I'll watch that player only because he's in danger. And I'm so afraid he's going to get hurt really bad. Because the helmet protects the mind. And God says we're to take home this helmet. And the helmet is the sword of the spirit. God's truths protect our minds. And the word of God, unlike a physical sword, which gets dull when you use it, when you start using the word of God and let God start using it upon your life, it gets sharper and sharper. It's effects and you get more and more effective. In times of trial, in times of hurt, I will tell you the enemy of your soul, once again, will be there to, draw, to try to draw you into a place of distrust and anger toward God. And it's the word of God and the truth of God that will keep that from happening. When Jesus Christ was in a moment of trial, after 40 days of fasting, and the enemy came when he was weak and tried to make him turn his distrust from God, Jesus' response over and over again is, it is written. No, it is written. No, it is written. I will trust God. And that is, that is where to go. Now, I want to give you just a few things where, Lord, where, you know, questions I had, where God quickly brought his word to bear that ministered to me so much. The first one was, Lord, why me, Lord? I'm a pretty good guy. The answer came back very quickly. Almost to me, it's almost like God spoke it. Why not you, Rick? You see, Rick, you like everyone else, you're living on a planet that is crushed by sin. It's not unusual for a Christ follower to have something like this happen. 
In verse 13 of our scripture, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. In Luke 13, Jesus was asked. He was asked about some tragedies that had happened in Israel. One of them was a tower had fallen and crushed 18 people. And Jesus says, do you think this was a fair thing that happened to them? And he says, I tell you, no, it was not fair. And you have to get this right. I have a very close friend of mine. He said, I'm so angry at God because it's not fair what's happening to you. And he was, I tried to explain to him these two principles. The first is very important. Life is not fair. I want to show you a picture, the most sobering picture that I've ever seen of the harshness of this life. The man who took this picture won a Pulitzer Prize for this picture. He actually committed suicide several weeks after taking this picture because of the pain was so overwhelming that was going on in Africa that he could not, he could, he took his life. Life is not fair. There are 100,000 plus people two weeks ago who were alive in Myanmar who are now dead suddenly. There are probably 20 to 50,000 people in China who are under rubble right now being crushed and who are dead. It was not fair. I'll tell you something. It's not fair. But, but whatever rules we're playing by, Jesus had the courage to play by the exact same rules. Because I'll tell you what, he died a very unfair death. Amen? All of his best friends died very unfair deaths. So there's something more going on. Life is not fair. Our God is completely fair. But here's the deal. God is not life. There are many things that happen on this planet that God sovereignly allows. There are some things he sovereignly causes, but many things he sovereignly allows. And the painful things that happen, I will guarantee you, that hurt us, that actually pierce us, God's heart of love is so intense that those same painful things pierce him to a much deeper level. I will tell you, God is not quite about pain. In fact, he put three institutions in place to try to help address pain, to try to help us through pain. They're his, his deal. The first is the family. The second is the church. And the third is government. These are three things that God put in place. These three things done right greatly can decrease pain. I cannot tell you how much my family's love upon me has decreased the pain of just knowing I had cancer. I cannot tell you how, how much this church and the body of Christ beyond this church, God has used to diminish my pain. It's been amazing. All these, these institutions done wrong actually increase pain. Family done wrong, church done wrong, government done wrong, increase pain. But done right, they greatly diminish pain. Church done right goes after pain and suffering. May we never forget that we are to be God's hands to a really hurting world that's really a very dark world. We are to be the light that goes to people who are hurting physically, who are hurting emotionally, and who are hurting spiritually. We are God's resources. May he leverage us well. Another question was a, with a sober answer to me was not just why me, Lord, but God, why did you give me a terminal illness? Why did you give me cancer? And God gave me another humorous answer. Rick, you've always had a terminal illness. 
my uh, doctors, the last time I saw them out in Texas, they all kind of put a little humor into this. They were telling me that I was doing well. There was no sign of any cancer right now in my body that they think they possibly could have licked this cancer. But the way they described it to me was as follows. Hey, Rick, it looks like uh, you're going to have to start looking both ways again now when you cross the road. That's pretty funny. What they were saying is this very truth. That this cancer may not be what's going to kill me, but something surely is going to kill me. Listen, there is nothing more certain, if the Lord tarries, there is nothing more certain than your death. Nothing more certain than your death. And there's nothing more uncertain than the time of your dying. Therefore, be prepared at all times for that which may come at any time. Back to Luke 13, when Jesus talked about the, the tower that fell on the 18 people. Not only say was it not fair, but he says, what should you get from this? What lesson should you learn from this? And he says, you need to be prepared. Prepared for what? To meet the holy God. He says, I tell you, you must repent or you will likewise perish. Are you prepared? I want you to just let that soak in. You have no idea, none, of how long you're going to live. None. And I'll tell you, cancer has taught me to no longer take the days of my life for granted. It's interesting that both David and Moses wrote a psalm that expressed this. They both in their psalm said, Lord, teach us to number our days carefully. Help us to grasp that we are but just a vapor. And it's true. I've, I've realized just, just anew through this cancer how precious life really is. There's a little book out there called The Mulligan. And in it, the authors write this, this question, why do we call them alarm clocks? What a terrible name. Why don't we call them opportunity clocks? Or I think we should call them, thank you, God, for allowing me to have another great day with you clocks. Let me exhort you to treasure each day, to live passionately each day in love with God and, love, and, and your love for other people. You know, uh, cancer may actually shorten the length of the time of my life, but I have chosen not to let it still one day of my life to live passionately for Christ. It is not the length of your life that's going to matter when you come before God. It's how you've leveraged the days of your life, the few days of your life, for His kingdom that God's going to be concerned with. Paul goes on to say, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. How much God has taught me about prayer. God says that this fervent prayer of a right person, a person who's right with God, that fervent prayer can do amazing things. Even things like healings. You know, when something hard comes in your life, you can either turn to anxiety. Our pastor gave a great illustration. He said anxiety is like sitting, being anxious is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do but takes you nowhere. You know, I want you to remember that picture. When you get worried, I'm just in my rocking chair. Instead of being worried, instead, do these two things. Paul says, stand firm and take up the armor. How do you stand firm? You do everything you can do to come against this evil. And then you pray as hard as you can pray. Do all you can do. Pray hard as you can pray. You've done what can be done. There's peace in that. We need to pray at a level of fervency. God says, when people pray fervently to me, when a person is rightly praying, who prays fervently to me, amazing results occur. Even things like healings. 
Bill Hoyt um, gave us a call early into the cancer, and he left a wonderful message. He really expressed what it means to be a fervent prayer. He says, Rick and Teresa, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. I am pounding God's throne for you daily in prayer. That's it. That's fervent prayer. And that's how we should pray for each other. Pound God's throne. Utter shamelessness. Bold audacity. To cry out to God until and without giving up with great persistence. You know, what about healing? Does God still heal? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He is known as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And I'll tell you something. I don't fear cancer because I know God's going to heal me of cancer. Now, get me right. He may heal me during my few days left on this planet, or he'll heal me the moment I walk into heaven. But I do not have cancer eternally. I do not. There is no cancer in heaven. None. By his stripes, I have been healed. God's goodness has been accomplished in my life completely. Let me conclude with the last piece of armor which I left intentionally. And that is feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier's footwear was very specific. It was a cleated sandal, which gave him great traction in battle. And here's the great traction that you must have when life throws evil at you. And that is that you are okay with God. As a Christian, you have this great foundation of peace. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as a son of God, and you have received him with a repentant heart as your Lord and Savior, you are at peace with God eternally. There's no longer any reason to fear death. He whose head is in heaven need not fear to put his feet into death. His feet into the grave. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in his mighty power. Put on his armor. Stand firm. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are here with us. That you're so near. That your tender mercies pour across us. That you're such a God of comfort and strength. I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here who has never embraced you, that we consider anew and again their need for you. Thank you, Lord God. We pray this before your throne in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the invitation is going to be threefold this morning. First, there are just some people here who, this is the morning for you to join this body of believers. For you to begin to pour your life into ministry here. For us to be able to pour our life into ministry to you. So we invite you to do that. There's some other people here this morning that um, you are not prepared. You are not prepared to meet the living God. And you know it. Do not remain in that state. Your life is very uncertain, just like mine is. I invite you to come forward and make a statement that you do want to believe and you do receive this Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And then finally, I I know there are people here this morning who have a real need for prayer. Man, life has thrown you a loop. It may be something physical going on in your life. It may be something relational. But I really feel the Lord that uh, we just want to open the altar up this morning and invite you to come and, and pray. And I've asked the deacons, if you would, if people come forward and pray, if you just would join with them and pray over them. Pray mightily over them. And so that's the invitation. 
as the Lord would lead, y'all come out. Thank you.